how old were you in 2006? I was just doing the math sitting there thinking, wow, Justin, what did it make me feel old? My son was in Alaska with him that year. Um, they spent a summer in Juneau working on a campus crusade or now crew project. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, it's not my generation of music, maybe not your generation of music, but uh, what I love about Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters, I, like the, I actually like the, the title of the band because um, oftentimes I fight the Foo in the morning. You ever fight the foo in the morning? This morning was one of those mornings. I got up, and I really did not want to get up. I was sleeping really well when my alarm went off. And so when I get up in that moment, I feel like I'm, whatever it means, I'm fighting the foo. But the other reason I like the band is because the texture of their lyrics. This song, Everlong, for instance. Can everything feel that real forever? And it's asking, really, uh, as, as you look at the lyrics, and, you know, oftentimes, those of us who have to speak, um, we spend a lot of time with this music. So I, I've spent a lot of time with all of these songs you've heard today on repeat. <clears throat> and I found myself contemplating the depth of the questions that are being asked by the poet Dave Grohl, who penned those lyrics. Because it does sort of beg the idea, can anything relationally really last? What's the secret? You know, you, you, you hear some people, for instance, who'll say, we've been together since middle school. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, how does that happen? I mean, at some point, either you're unconscious or you're on something. Because who can be together since middle school and not be really irritated with one another, you know? I mean, you're denying something or, you know, it, it's like things just relationally especially don't last in our world. You know, statistics kind of show us that... that um, you know, over time, over a 10-year period, about, you know, four in 10 people end up getting married and getting divorced. And in that period, uh, there are, you know, as it, as it goes on, as you continue to move um, into a second or a third relationship, marital relationship, the statistics just grow. And, and they just get crazy. It, it, it gets harder once that first relationship has dissolved. So what, what is it? What is it that makes relationships last? And I, I just, I, there are probably a dozen things that we could talk about this morning. Uh, there's there's a, a lot in the Bible about what it looks like to have relational integrity. That is, a, to have a kind of stickiness in, in our relational world, but, but I just want to camp on one today, because I think there's one thing. Uh, it, it is an absolute instrumental issue in making relationships last. 
There are a lot of ingredients that go into making a relationship last. Good communication, you know, make, making a marriage last, you know, ha- ha- having a, a, a vibrant, growing, uh, mutually satisfying sexual relationship. All, all of those kind of things are great ingredients. But there are a few things, and at least one, I, I believe, that's instrumental. It's the means to getting to the end. You know, it's the reason why relationships last. And, and when we look at it, it's all throughout the Bible. It, it, it exists everywhere uh, in, in every level of relational Material. I mean, whether it's just friendship or, or, or whether it's between a, a marriage, you know, a husband and a wife, whether it's that, that kind of connection they make or whether it's family. It's what makes relationships sticky. You see, I, I think you and I, I don't think, I believe at the depths of my soul that you and I were made to be relational beings. A part of who we are as individuals is the community that exists around us. It's like the air that we breathe. It gives the oxygen to the life that we have. And when we live in isolation, which over the past two and a half years, we've been kind of driven in that direction. When we live in isolation really bad things start to happen to us. Things that we don't intend, things that we wouldn't really necessarily choose because they're, they're secondary. We choose to isolate and something happens to us. But at our core, from our creation, the Bible says we were made in the image of God. And the God that the Bible describes is a God that exists in community. You might think of it as a tri-unity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. That's a difficult concept to get our minds around. People come to our doors all dressed up and, and want to challenge that idea of the Bible, that, that there is a, a tri-unity of Father, Son, and Spirit. But when you read the text of Scripture, you, you discover that there is a person called the Father, there's a person, Jesus, the Son, there's a person called the Spirit. A person. Not just a spirit, not just, but a person. And, and it's hard to put the three of those things together without coming to the understanding of this triunity of God. And, and so in Genesis, when it says we're made in the image of God, this idea that you and I are made sticky for relationships. We're made to exist in a world that's relationally connected. And God comes along in that Genesis passage and and describes what the basic unit of this society is going to be, the the connection of a man and a woman together in, in a relationship that we come to call marriage. And we see all around us, and Dave Grohl actually writes so clearly for us the difficulty of maintaining those kinds of relationships so that they they grow not just in longevity 
but also in quality over time. And they get rich, and the texture of those relationships become really valuable to us. But unfortunately, for, for most of us, we live in a world where we, we've, we've had some fracture. There, there's been a, 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 a ripping of, uh, of the flesh, in a sense. In Genesis, uh, God describes that as two become one. This idea of, of indicating that stickiness that exists in our world. And, and when we rip that apart, we can do it with a surgical knife legally. Sometimes they come apart pretty easy. And there is a mutually agreed upon parting. And it's like, <clears throat> I made a mistake marrying you. I made a mistake marrying you. We shouldn't do this. Let's get away from one another and let's go on. And, and we tend to think that that's a, an easy thing, but the fact is, is that it's not an easy thing. We don't really quite grasp sometimes the, the connection between our spiritual world and our physical world, between the immaterial, that which we can't touch and see and feel, and material, that which we can touch and see and feel. We tend to think they're two separate things, and, and we can divide them in two. We, we, we kind of grow up in a world where we think of life as a pie, and I've got my financial world, I've got my spiritual world, I've got my vocational world, <clears throat> you know, I've got all these different pieces of the pie, and, and they're all separate, but they're not. They all meld together in, in such a way that when we try to pull them apart, we, we do damage. We do damage we pull a, a marriage apart. We do damage. Well, we could argue as to whether or not more damage would be done by keeping it together than pulling it apart. Um, I, I'm not going to go there, but I would just like to suggest that, that, that the problem with keeping relationships together is, first of all, acknowledging our stickiness, our relational stickiness, and that when we pull against that relational stickiness, something bad happens in us. Something that if we don't address, something that we don't pay attention to, then we, we struggle to find that relational stickiness again. Um, I, was, I was trying to find an illustration for this, and I was thinking about masking tape. You know, it, it used to be that this is kind of all we had, Right? It's just this, this masking tape, and it does that. It gets dry, and it, it breaks before you want it to break. And, and this masking tape, you know, we would use for painting. We would put it on walls, and unfortunately, it's so sticky that sometimes <clears throat> it would pull off things that we didn't want to pull off. But, but the uniqueness of this is it does, it does stick together. It, it's very sticky. But you can pull it apart if you're really good at it, you know? And uh, it, it, it comes off, and it, it still will stick. But the problem is, is that the more you stick it together and the more you pull it apart, it begins to lose its stickiness. It begins to lose the very thing it was created for. And it no longer has the ability to stick the way we want it to stick. And that's what happens to us as humans, is that when we 
get married, and then we get divorced, and we might get married again or get divorced, or we could even apply it to relationships outside of marriage. When we begin to get to know people deeply, and something happens to that relationship, and it's pulled apart, it does damage. We, we lose our stickiness. We, we lose our ability to do what we were created to do. And so, begs the question, for me at least, what's the answer? What, what, what is it that allows us to keep that stickiness? What is it that allows us to keep our humanity without losing it over time? without being pushed into isolation, without being pushed into cynicism, without being pushed into self-protective type of a world where we put up walls and fences around ourselves and we, we only let few people in and, and we make people go through you know, metal detectors and we search body cavities to make sure that they don't have anything evil that they could do to us. But the problem is every human being that we've ever related to is potentially hurtful. Even the best of us, the kindest of us in this room, are potentially hurtful to us. And so it's almost impossible to keep an emotional terrorist out of our life. We spend so much energy protecting ourselves that we drain the energy that we have to live. To actually experience joy and, and celebration and a sense of satisfaction and peace because we're constantly on guard, making sure that nobody's pulling a pin on an emotional hand grenade and rolling it into our life because I don't want to feel that way again. So, what is the answer? I mean, what is it that gets us to a point where we can maintain our stickiness over time? I, I think it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. And it's simple because it's, it, it's, it's clearly throughout the Bible in so many different places. There's a guy named Solomon. He was a king in Israel, uh, reported by the Bible to be one of the richest people to ever live. He won the lottery last week, and he got $780 million deposited to his account. Um, fortunately, it wasn't me. Um, I did buy five tickets thinking that, you know, I could fund the world, but it didn't happen. This guy who was really rich wrote the book of Proverbs. It's in the first half of the Bible, and it's just series, just, just what it says. It's just a series of short, pithy sayings that are wisdom for life. And in chapter 4, he says this, Above all else, primary, first of importance, pay attention if you do this one thing. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. What, what does that look like? I mean, is he talking about building fences, building walls, 
making sure that we've got you know, satellite systems watching for any dangerous person to come into our life that's going to do damage to us, not letting people have a part of us that would allow them to hurt us, not disclosing ourselves in such a way that people have information that they can come back and, and use it against us. Is that what he's talking about? Guard your heart? I, I don't think so. I think he's connecting with some things that we find later on in the Bible. It's Jesus who in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I mean, if you were not going to read anything else about Jesus, you could start there. Because in those three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the first story that appears in the second half of the Bible about Jesus. If you read one thing about Jesus, that's, that's like core. It's like, it's like the Declaration of Independence, the Magna Carta. It's the most uh, distilled truth that Jesus gives us. And in, in, in chapter 6, he's, he's talking about, or excuse me, chapter 5, he's talking about um, what do you do if you have a problem with someone. And, and, he, and he says it in a way, it's a, it's a Jewish culture he's in, and so their, their rhythm or their habit would be to go to a temple. There was a place in Jerusalem for a while where there was a temple, and in that temple, uh, you could go there and you could, you could buy animals to sacrifice for your sin, for, for the things that you've done that, that miss the mark in, in relating to God. And so using that rhythm, he says to them, look, this is so important. If your brother has something against you, and you're on your way to the temple. So let's put it in modern terms. If someone has something against you, and you're on your way to a gathering on Sunday morning, if you're going to a meeting that's happening on the campus of a collective group of people who call themselves followers of Jesus, buildings that often are mislabeled churches, if you're going there, it's more important that you stop going and you go figure out the relational discard with that brother. That relational discord is, is more important than your religious attendance. Well, what's Jesus getting at? He's getting at the fact that the heart of being a human is learning to forgive. And to be forgiven. If that tool, if that skill doesn't exist in your person, then your relational equity, building relational equity with a husband or a wife or a friend or a mentor or a grandchild or, or a brother or sister, your relational equity cannot grow. Because of your inability to do that one thing that is an ingredient to a successful relationship. Learning to forgive. Learning to forgive. 
I mean, it's, it rolls off my tongue so easily. Learn to forgive. Just forgive. And, and a lot of people, you know, will get into a relationship. Someone will do something. Oh, I forgive you. But I don't think forgiveness is an event. I think it's a process. I, I think it's something that we have to do over and over and over again. We have to choose to make it present in our life. We have to realize that when people hurt us, when people do things against us, when we feel the scars of another human being, you can say the words, I forgive you. But living that out, give me access to your internal world, your thinking. And I will, I will expose the fact that if forgiveness for you is not a process... You really aren't forgiving. You're trying to exchange the idea of forgetting for forgiving. And the two are radically different. I mean, as the older I get, the more easily it becomes to forget. You know, I can, I can walk into a room now and forget why I came into that room. For the life of me, I'm thinking... It was there 45 seconds ago. I moved with such purpose. You know, I got up and I came this way. Only to, what was I doing here? Well, you know, it's easy to forget. And, and the older you get, the better and you get at it. <laughs> Without even trying. <laughs> but forgiving is something radically different. You know, forgiving is, is acknowledging the damage that someone has done to you. Oftentimes, we don't want to do that. We don't want to, to really ponder, okay, why, they're asking me, I'm sorry. Well, I, why are you sorry? W what is it you're sorry about? Well, I shouldn't have said that. Well, do you understand what you, when you said that, what I felt like? Now, I realize I chose to feel that way. I'm not blaming you for my feelings, but, but when you said that, when you did that, here's what happened inside me. Here's what happened in my thinking. Here's how I felt. And, and when we begin to process ourselves, oftentimes we want to forget. We don't want to forgive. We want to move on. Water under the bridge. Let bygones be bygones. You know, those kinds of things are so damaging to our ability because we, we just don't regain our stickiness as human beings when we choose to forget rather than to forgive. Forgiveness is a process. It's a process of coming to understand what's happened, how I felt, why I reacted the way I do. It drives me in, in many ways like a flare. It's a flare that goes up in the air that lights things that say, okay, I'm seeing things about myself. I understand that hurt. I don't blame you really for the hurt because I'm exposing the fact that my identity, my security as a person is really not the, in the place it should be. And you're hurting me, helped me, drove me to that. I, I appreciate that about the process of forgiveness. 
But oftentimes we want to be so kind, and we think it's Christian to be kind. And, and I'm not talking about kind, and I'm just talking about being s- simple about emotions that, that we, oh, it's not, not a problem. Oh, it's okay. It's not, it's not okay. It's not okay with you. It's not okay with him. Because you're practicing the art of forgetting rather than forgiving. You see, the beauty of, about Jesus is, is that Jesus comes to us and he, and he gives us the, 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 the dead level truth. Jesus says, look, you missed the mark. You know, the word sin in the Bible, harmartia, is an archery term. It means that, that when you were aiming, you missed the mark. You didn't hit the bullseye. The idea that our lives, the best of us in this room, and, and if, if you feel like you, you, you don't qualify here, then we probably need to talk afterwards, but the best of us in this room missed the mark. We, 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 we hit, you know, on the outside of the target. You may have hit the target, but you didn't hit the bullseye. You didn't hit that, that moment, but, but Jesus did. And that's the beauty about Jesus because he tells us the truth in Philippians 2. You know, it says that although he, he had the right to exist as God, he chose to put that away. And he became something he wasn't so we could become something that he wanted us to be. He told us the truth. The truth is, is that without Jesus... Humans spend eternity apart from God. Without Jesus, we miss the essence of what we were created for in this world, much less the world to come. He becomes the crux and the core of everything that we're about because he understood what it was like to forgive. He just didn't forget the fact that we missed the mark. He understood clearly that we missed the mark, and he gave himself up for us. He he, he paid a price in our place so that we could be forgiven. And he asks us if we claim to follow him, if we claim to to have a, a life that's attached to what he wants in this world, that we would express the same thing to those around us. In fact, he says it in such a stark way in the next chapter in Matthew. He says, look, if, if you can't figure out how to forgive, then you probably will never experience forgiveness from heaven. It's that important that being a human and learning to forgive is, is like the pathway. It's the ingredients to making sure that relationships can last a long time. I'd love to have this conversation with Dave Grohl. I'd love to have this conversation around the the lyric of that song, Everlong. And and the idea of what what would it look like to get the skill of forgiveness. And the key to, to being able to forgive is learning to be forgiven. Is learning that you and I are are just one beggar trying to show another beggar where to find food. When someone's asking for fi- my forgiveness, I could take the high road, you hurt me, you said something to me. But I realized, hey, I, I need to take the low road because the fact is, is that if 
for the grace of God, we could be switched. It would be me. And it has been many times. The, the fact that someone needs my forgiveness doesn't give me any posture or standing of, of, of high regard. The fact is, is, is that as a human, I'm often in need of being forgiven by other human beings. And so that humility, that posture of understanding that I'm just a child of God forgiven for God-awful things, things that I would not want to be known in public. Gives me a posture to be able to have my wife come to me and ask for my forgiveness. I can't hold it over her. Because, but for the grace of God, the roles would be switched. So, the key here to, to having an ever-long relationship is discovering what it's like to first be forgiven, and second, to turn around and have that kind of posture to someone else. The only way to learn that I mean, you could decide this morning, you could leave here and say, okay, I've forgiven everyone in my life. And it's like, I'm going to tell you, you're a liar. But what you could do is make a list of those people that have been roaming around in your mind right now. Those people that you feel like, wow, I don't want to admit it. I sure hope he doesn't stop. And say, turn to your neighbor and name one person you feel like you haven't forgiven in your life. You know, th that person that's roaming around your mind or those people. You, you need to begin to identify in your realm of human existence where it is that you lack a spirit of unforgiveness. Because that spirit of unforgiveness is not your weapon of hurting them. It's Satan's tool of robbing you of your humanity. You are less than human until you learn to forgive. And, and when you learn to forgive, even those people who have hurt you deeply in most ungodly, horrible ways, when you learn to forgive that, you regain a piece of your humanity. You regain a stickiness in your life. Your relational equity and that you can build other people start to rise. Because you're getting back to what you were created to be. You were created to have this relational stickiness, this ability to connect as husband and wife, this ability to connect as humans, as brothers and sisters, as fathers and daughters, as mothers and sons, as friends, as co-workers, as neighbors, we were built to connect. But the fact is, is that we can't if we harbor a spirit of unforgiveness. So who is that person? Who is that person that you need to begin working toward forgiveness? A couple of steps that have, you have to take. First of all, you have to 
admit to yourself how they have hurt you. Second is, you, you need to talk to them, and you need to express that. However awkward, however difficult that is, not in blaming terms, not you made me feel, but I felt this way when you did this, or you said this, or this happened. Some of those people may be lying in a grave now, and so you might need to write a letter to them. You might need to write your feelings on paper so it, you objectify it. You see it outside yourself because as long as it swirls in here, it, it gets kind of difficult to, to nail down. But when you put it out there, something magic happens. And, and we need to engage those relationships. Now, it may turn out messy. That's okay. Jesus in Matthew 6 didn't say, hey, on your way to do that religious thing and you've got something, uh, relational discard with someone, you know, go to them. And if it turns out really good, great. But if it doesn't, you know, no, he's just, he just was interested in you going to them. And so learning to forgive is not about believing that you're omniscient and you know the end. Oh, this wouldn't turn out good. This wouldn't, oh, it's not about it's not about that. It's about being human and following Jesus and doing what he says. Because, I mean, let's face it. If I have to choose between your wisdom of life and Jesus' wisdom of life, I'm choosing Jesus every time. I mean, I like you. I, I'm, I don't know many of you. I, I, you know, you're, you're, you're reasonably intelligent, well-dressed human beings. But he's the inventor of life. He designed life. He, he made it up. I'm not going with your wisdom. I'm going with his wisdom. It just makes sense that I would do what he says. Because he has a better idea in mind for my humanity than I have. And if, if we want to be human, if, if we want relationships that are ever long, we learn to forgive. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us the gift of life. As we sit here today, we breathe, we, uh, we relate. Uh, life has so much uh, joy to it. Uh, there's so many good things sitting around us. There's so many good things ahead of us today. Uh, you, you've created us to enjoy life. You've created us to, to celebrate and to experience you in this world. But oftentimes, oftentimes because of the pain that other human beings have given us, Father, you, you know so well that we choose our own directions. We choose self-protection rather than the path of becoming fully human. By, by following you into the life of realizing that forgetting and forgiving are two radically different things. Father, would you help us figure that out? As we identify these people in our minds that, that we need to begin the process of forgiving, would you give us the courage to contemplate how they've hurt us? Would you give us the courage to, to go to them, to talk with them, despite how messy it might get or how difficult it might be, Father? Help us just to do what you said, to trust, to act as if what you say is true. And Father, we pray that, that, that we would taste 
the gift of humanness, the gift of being human, to not just kid ourselves that bygones, let bygones be bygones, water under the bridge, all of those things that are not your wisdom, things that just create and rob us of the beauty of the humanity that you created in us. Thank you for your son, Father. Thank you for him taking on flesh, coming into this world, showing us what it was like to have a posture of humility, to die in our place and, and, and offer us forgiveness so we could experience forgiveness from you so we could learn to give it to other people. Help us to grow in our understanding of how much you've forgiven us so that we can learn to forgive others. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name.